Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we are going to be taking a look at the Oklahoma City Thunders media day. Really all of this week you're going to hear a lot of different press conferences. You're going to be able to get that inside look of practice but I want to look at Monday's media day. Some of the big takeaways there And then I want to talk about the Thunder's roster. They have started to make moves. Ty Jerome and the Thunder look to be going on separate paths now. And Vic Kredci was traded to Atlanta on Tuesday. So I want to talk about both of those transactions. What it means for those two. What it means for the organization. And what it means for some of the other guys uh, going forward. Starting things out though with Media Day. This is the day that everybody has been waiting for you finally get to see the inside look of the training camp rosters preseason play starts in just about a week now so you get to see kind of where everyone has gone and what they've been up to during the summer I think once you get into the ebbs and flows of like an NBA season it's a lot harder to just ask simple questions Uh, and, and that's not necessarily true in the sense like you can ask whatever you want um right whenever you're making a story or whatever the case may be but it's sort of like an icebreaker of sorts for media members and the actual players so you're able to get a lot more of those conversations and for people that run podcasts or people that do uh, you know articles of their own it's a lot easier to kind of pull some unique content out in the early portions of the year compared to maybe when you're in the middle of a season when you know games are obviously going to be of the utmost priority but you got some pretty good tidbits going on throughout this you know, when you're talking, assessing like the big, big points, there are a couple that I was able to kind of take out of there. You know, a lot of media day uh, ends up being just, you know, what have you been doing over the summer? What are some of the things you've been doing um, to kind of prepare yourself for this season? Uh, but, you know, one thing also is you end up getting that new roster sheet that shows you all the new players on the roster, all the new coaching staffs. Cameron Woods. He's going to be the head coach of the Oklahoma City Blue this season, and Grant Gibbs has been moved from his position as Oklahoma City Blue head coach to an assistant coach under Mark Dagnalt. That is big time. That kind of lets you know just the pipeline between the Blue and the Thunder, and I think a lot of people kind of chalk it up as uh, players, but that's not always true. You know, organizationally, you see a lot of G League people move up in the ranks. I think that's why the G League is so valuable, not just for players, but for people building up you know I've had conversations before where people that don't even work in the typical setting they might be working on the PR side they might be working more on the business side they've said that starting out working at the G League level just on the business side or just on a PR side has actually helped them significantly so it's a great great spot to land at when you start your career and for someone like Grant Gibbs now he's gonna have the platform to go with the Thunder, go with that growing team. And he already knows some of the roster already based on his prior experiences with this team. Same for Cameron Woods. He's not new to the Blue organization. He's not new to the Thunder organization. He was a player there and he's been a coach for the last three seasons, I believe, with the franchise. So he's going to be good to go. He already knows the system and they've kind of been training him up. One of the things that I thought was interesting was he was actually the head coach in Las Vegas, even though Grant Gibbs was also on the coaching staff. So It kind of gets those wheels turning. I don't know if that's the answer, you know, which is he's the head coach now and and that's why that happened. But 
you know, I think he's at this point where you're able to kind of see him spread his wings, and I don't even think he's 30 years old yet, so he's a very, very young guy, very talented, especially on the defensive end. I know in college, he was top five in the rebounding category at his school, so he also has that playing background, which obviously helps out as well, um, connecting with the players. So that was one of the major occurrences in terms of the 20-man roster. I mean, the Thunder, um, they don't have, let's say, the most interesting based on what a typical training camp roster looks like. If you compare the training camp roster this season to last two, not as many sprinkles on there, but it's still a very good team. It's a better team than what we've seen the last two years. I'm just talking in the sense that there's not many new bases because a lot of what they did was they had guys on two-way contracts, moved them up, two-way contract guys are sticking around, Lindy Waters, for example, and then you get all the incoming first-round picks and, and second-round pick in J-Will. So that's four rookies that come in, and that's a lot of your roster. <laughs> so it, it's not like they're panning guys out from overseas. They're not fielding free agents. They're not fielding uh, G League prospects for those roster spots where other teams might be. You know, you don't see partial guarantees. Two years ago, what they do? They brought in Omer Yurt Seven. They brought in Frank Jackson on deals. Yurt Seven wasn't really a training camp guy. He was solely there for the Exhibit Ten. But Frank Jackson tagged along. He made a pretty good impression, and he was pretty close to making the team. He was a final cut that year. He's a free agent yet again this season, uh, but last year as well. DJ Wilson out of the free agent pool ends up netting a deal with the Thunder. He didn't look too impressive in the preseason, but he clearly looked at an NBA level last year with the blue. No question about it. And now he's on a partial guarantee with the Raptors. So you can see where they bring guys in from other camps. They've kind of stayed in house this season, which is a good thing considering they are trying to develop and they clearly like the core that's currently set in place. Eugenio Marui is kind of like the one guy where he was with the Mavericks last year, injured for most of it, but he gets to come in. That might change though, based on some of the news with Ty Jerome, Vic Credci, and just the overall roster situation, which I will go into in just a little bit here. Going into the actual details of media day though, one thing that stood out was Chip England, and he has been kind of the center of attention uh, about for the last month, I would say, because of, you know, what he is uh, kind of spectacular at, and that is the shooting department. OKC has not been a good three-point shooting team the last couple seasons, even prior to last two years where they've kind of been on that rebuilding phase. They, they weren't particularly a great three-point shooting team. It just has not been their forte, in particular last year, where they were the second worst since tracking began nine seasons ago and I always run through this I probably say this once every two or three podcasts they ranked 269th out of 270th in catch and shoot three-point attempts only team worse first year tracking Detroit Pistons led by Josh Smith they were a tenth of a percent worse so that's not great and then also the Thunder shot about twice as many threes last year as that Pistons group did they're not a good three-point shooting team, and that is their biggest thing they need to address. The center spot as well, they got Chet. He's not going to be playing this year, obviously, but they've made strides in that direction. Three-point shooting, that needs to be fixed up, though. Chip England comes in, and it looks like he has made an impact, but his role is a lot more fluid than a typical assistant coach. 
He's not going to be going every single game. He's going to be working kind of with some guys more than others. We've heard that he's been working with Josh Giddy, Usman Jang. Some of the other returning core really have not worked out with him yet, but I've heard good things. So there is a strict schedule on kind of how his time is allotted. So they're using him in kind of a specialty role, which I think actually works out pretty well. Giddy mentioned kind of his time with Chip so far, two, three times. Uh, I believe it's a day or week on one of those um, where they're just kind of checking in, working on a shot. In terms of the foundation of his jumper, nothing much has changed, but there's not a flick in his thumb anymore. That's something that he kind of had prior to that. So there's already changes being made. And then I believe it was Clemente that mentioned that Usman was working with Chip uh, during Wednesday's training camp activities. So you want to make sure that those guys are you know, able to get that progression in. I think that Josh Giddy's a special talent. Everybody thinks Josh Giddy's a special talent. It's not much of a hot take, but he's a very good passer. Looks good around the basket, but that three-point shot does need to uh, go up a little bit. You know, you can't be hanging around 30% for dear life when you're going to be playing next to a really um, high usage player in Shea Gilgis Alexander. You have to find a happy medium to where one of them can shoot at a high level. Ideally, you want both of them to. Same with Usman, just based on the fact that I think if he's playing and he can't shoot the three ball, it's actually going to really hurt his offensive value. He needs the ball in his hands to play at his best. But when you already have Trey Mann, Jalen Williams, and, and that's J-Dub there in that second unit, or even in the, the first group of SGA or Josh Giddy. You just don't have enough touches for him. And I think in terms of what the most effective play would be, it would be to give the ball to one of those other four that I just mentioned. So he needs some development there. It's good to see that he's also working on his jump shot. This is when I get into just the the talks. I feel like every time you get to media day, there's that one question that kind of just sticks out. And everybody runs with it. Right now, it's talking about who has the best hair. You know, and that's just kind of kind of how these things go. If I had to rank them, I think that J-Dub probably has the best. And then Josh Giddy would be two for me. Kind of a split crowd in terms of the Thunder players. We've heard everything from Josh Giddy to J-Dub, J-Will, SGA. has been in that mix. Lou Dort. So you're hearing just about everything. A lot of good hairstyles. On this team, though, that's what the players have been saying. That's what the media members have been saying. We'll have to get a composite ranking at some point. I'm curious um, <laughs> what that would all look like. In terms of one player in particular, it kind of stood out. Trey Mann. Um, he looks jacked. And I don't know if it's because he's you know using like a 14-pound bowling ball instead of a 10-pounder. But he has some massive shoulders. Like, he is a burly guy and and last year it really didn't look that way like yeah he had some muscle to him but he's he's big now you know he's six five um i think whenever he clocked in last year is about 190 but he does look fairly big and with his skill set you know he's the type of guy that could really erupt as a second year player you saw last season uh in particular whenever you saw sga go down he took those reps and he really starred with them. You didn't really have many guys that could plug in, shoot 35% off the ball, but also on the catch uh, as well, uh, or on the catch and on the ball, excuse me. 
So he was one of their best options from the perimeter, and he can create an ISO or off a screen, and that is beautiful. I think the biggest thing with him is just having the ability to understand kind of the pick-and-roll offense. If he goes over a screen and, and there's a player potentially open in the corner, sometimes he doesn't kick it out. Would like to see improvements there, but in terms of being a scorer, as a score first guy off a of pick and roll, he's a fairly good player there, and there's still a lot more to build off of with his overall game. So if there's going to be someone who really erupts uh, going into next season, you know, Trey Mann's definitely probably number one in that pecking order, if I had to rank it out, and he has kind of taken over that sixth or seventh man role, depending on how this lineup is going to be utilized and I, I think he probably would be the sixth man now there was at least in my mind a thought that JRE would be coming off the bench uh, to let Baze start at the four and Holmgren at the five but now I think JRE's got that starting five gig back and that means Trey Mann probably should be getting around 24 to 26 minutes per game as that first man coming off this sideline but he's looked spectacular Chet Holmgren he has, you know, been working out. He's looking to get back in, obviously, but whole year is going to be taken out due to that list Frank injury. And everyone's kind of said the same thing. You know, they are very excited to have him on this roster. You already saw in the summer league, very special talent. This guy was a freaking fly swatter. You know, anytime you got near him, especially that first game against Utah, it was not happening. Taco Fall looked like he was about six feet tall. Someone like Kofi Coburn, very dominant at Illinois, was kind of shut down against him. And even guards were struggling. And for someone that probably did the best job in Kenny Lofton, it was more of a back and forth. And I'd say Chet Holmgren actually won most of those battles. So he looked very good. He's been running, um, or he's been doing open runs, excuse me, over the summer prior to that injury where he's playing all-stars. Good feedback coming on from those. Um, but... You know, he is going to be shut down. One quote that I really liked, I think this came from the Down to Dunk podcast, but they were talking to Shea, and he said that he really doesn't look into draft stuff that much, which, you know, it's understandable. You know, there's a lot of junkies out there that cover draft stuff. I mean, I did, man, I did a draft guide uh, when I, whenever I was still with SI, like, 10,000 plus words I think it was I forgot what the total number was it was insane I put so much time into there and I know way way too many guys from that draft class but when you have the second pick it's a little bit easier uh from that outsider perspective to say oh I like this guy Shay said he looked at some of the tape and he really liked Chet you know he didn't know going into the draft who they were going to take I don't think they called him and said hey who do you want here maybe they did but he didn't know when the pick was in, and it ended up being Chet Holmgren, and he was very happy about it. That's the guy that he wanted to bring in. I think for what the Thunder need, he clearly was the best fit, uh, just based on the defensive lapses they have on screens, and then offensively too. You know, you need to have a stretch five to be compatible with someone like SGA or someone like Josh Giddy. He's able to do that, and then he has additional layers to his game that's just very unique as a prospect so that was a a good thing to hear from the team's leader that you know he was happy that Chet was on board and he's happy about his contract as well reports that the Raptors are monitoring SGA closely I mean whatever <laughs> you know like I'm sure I'm sure the Thunder are monitoring 
stars closely, right? Like, who's not monitoring, like, Luka Doncic or something? Everybody wants to know what's going on with Luka Doncic. Young superstar already. I don't think you're going to get SGA for a trade right now. You know, he just signed a deal. There's not a no trade clause or anything attached, but why on earth would the Thunder take one of these deals right now? You know, SGA looks to be happy here. You still have a year to wait with Chet Holmgren, but they're on the upward climb, and I don't even know how those those trades work out. I'd have to look at those trade generators where OKC gets three picks and you know that's good because that's how Twitter trades end up going most of the time but um yeah I don't think he's getting moved he seems pretty good rumors are rumors that's just kind of how it is final thing rookies everyone said they were pretty high on them and they all were looking pretty good going into training camp and you saw some weight gains. Poku up 20 pounds from 190 to 210. SGA's at 195. He was barely above 180 going into last season. Teo's up 10 pounds. JRE 240 pounds. That's sort of that magic number where you can play him at the four, the five. Baisley, number 55 now. He's at 216. He wanted to hit 220, but right on that doorstep there. Giddy also 216, and Lou Dort, 220 pounds of muscle. Another thing that was kind of sprouted out through Twitter, also through the press releases, Ty Jerome, this actually wasn't press release, V. Crutchy was, but with Ty Jerome, you know, you get this report from Royce Young, who now works inside the organization, that they're kind of mutually looking to find uh, a new place for Ty. And essentially what that means is he's going to be cut from this roster or he's going to be traded. We will see uh, kind of which route is going to be taken. Obviously, the priority for the Thunder would be to get some sort of assets out of that. But if not, they would have to burn that contract. Not too big of a surprise. And I actually talked So Joe Musato. Um, I saw him about a couple weeks ago, kind of just chatted it up about this roster situation and he was thinking that, you know, Ty would probably go. And I agreed. But I think if this would have happened a month ago, um, I actually had Ty in the thick of things. I think that had Chet not been injured for the entirety of this season, Ty Jerome had a really good effort of actually making this team. The one caveat, his qualifying offer, which would have had a kick in next season, would have been kind of nasty. And that's where you have to get that checkbook out. And if they are not sold on him, you know, it's not an ideal spot. It's kind of like having to deal with another Baisley contract, if you will, where that qualifying offer kicks in and then you have to worry about matching and extensions. Ty Jerome, former first round pick, so he's on a first round pick contract scale, which is kind of a two plus two. And then you get into qualifiers and all, all of that good business. The thing with that, though, you know, that is a tad bit expensive. And I think for what Ty would have brought to this roster, it just didn't make sense. If the Thunder were looking to go pedal the metal and they wanted their best team, I think Ty slips in because he is, I think, a really good third string guard at either position. He didn't have a very impressive season last year. He tanked from shooting 42% in his first year with the Thunder to 29%. He's been very, very flaky really throughout his collegiate and NBA career in the three-point category. Um, but 
if the three-point shot was good, if you were confident in it, that's a big, big plus because this team doesn't have a lot of shooters, in particular off the catch. But the thing that really makes me like him as a player, and the reason I still think that he'll have NBA interest, is he's a very good half-court passer. His assist-to-turnover ratio, one of the best on the team the last two seasons. He's very, very disciplined when it comes to passing, and he's not going to get overly zealous when it comes to dribbling the clock out. If he doesn't see something... He'll just kind of survey, survey, and if it goes down in a panic mode, he'll he'll launch a three-point shot, right? And it actually worked out pretty well that first year, as I talked about. He averaged 10.7 points and 3.6 assists last, that last year, and people were pretty high on him going into this previous one, uh, but he just didn't really have as many opportunities, and he didn't play as well. So because Chet's out, because I don't think they're going to be going all in it makes more sense to look at maybe a project player or a veteran over him right now just because if there wasn't a surefire future past this season might be best to give him an opportunity elsewhere uh elsewhere so he's going to be on the trade market for the next week or so ideally the thunder want to try to pinch a second round pick out of it maybe it's conditional maybe you use him to take on a bigger salary But if that doesn't come to light, I think he'll get waived and he'll probably join on someone's training camp roster and try to get things to work out there because he is still a very valuable player and I'm sure there's multiple franchises that are going to be monitoring his situation fairly closely. And with Ty, I mean, he came in and was just a microwave two seasons ago. He started out with the OKC Blue that year and It's actually surprising because the other point guard on that team was Xavier Simpson. He's with the Magic now. And Simpson almost outplayed Jerome at first in the sense that Simpson was more of that offensive aficionado, really good passer. Ty was kind of used more as that off-ball shooter, and he didn't pass quite as much. I think I liked a little bit more of how Simpson ran that offense but over time and over those 15 games I think you got to see Ty get comfortable you saw him launch 30 footers consistently you saw him get involved in terms of the passing game and he was a very refined player going to OKC because he didn't play all 15 games with the blue he got called up early and this is right around the time that the injuries started to come in SGA's out and then you plug in Ty and he did a spectacular job just playing his role, which was spotting up, and when need be, he would handle the basketball and find players open. Low maintenance is the way I describe him, and low maintenance players tend to do pretty well in the NBA. You don't want a high usage player that can only shoot the basketball at a high level but can't do anything else. That's not what franchises want for your 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th player on a team. You want somebody who's able to be number five of five on a rotation, but good defensively, good as a rebounder, good with the fundamentals, and he's going to be a compliment to the guys you already have structured around. Ty Jerome is one of those types of players. I think that's why he still holds value as an overall prospect. He's 25 years old, so going into his fourth year, he's not particularly the youngest guy uh, for that age group because he did have a prestigious career at Virginia. But I don't think it matters. I think that if he's waived, 
I don't know if the waiver would be claimed based on that deal, but a restructured contract where it's maybe a two-year deal with a non-guaranteed second year, I bet that gets thrown his way immediately if he ends up going to the free agent pool and he would not be picked up uh, off those waivers. So it's another situation just like Isaiah Roby where it comes down to opportunities. I think with Roby, it was a little bit more evident that he really was fitting with this Thunder group and he would have been fine um, except Jeremiah Robinson Earl was kind of taking away those minutes yeah and with Ty Jerome a little bit of the same I don't think there's someone who is directly in competition with him the closest might have been Teo but two different players Ty definitely had his own category and if he was 21 I think the Thunder would have still given him a chance in this current moment but He'll have another shot. Mark Dagnall addressed it. He said, you know, he was really happy for him. And just like all the players that come through here, it's not just about the time they're in the door. After they leave, they want to see success. And they'll be keeping tabs on Ty Drome as he finds likely another NBA franchise to play for next season. Going into the Veet Credshi deal. This is a trade that happened... Kind of out of nowhere. I think Shams was the first one to report it. And that just, that lets you know just like how insane the trade market and and just the news market is in the NBA that Shams and Woj were getting this before and guys in local media, you know, are kind of not able to have those resources. A lot of these news stories come from agents. So that's kind of where you get the, the dots connected there. But Shams breaks it, everybody else kind of follows, and it becomes confirmed later Tuesday evening. And here is the deal. Viet Krejci moved to the Atlanta Hawks in exchange for Maurice Harkless and draft considerations. When you go into the details of those draft picks, it was a amended 2025 second round pick. I think it was top 40 protected. Now it's going to be wiped. And then they get a 2029 second round pick. So Sam Presti has already started to build further and further into the future. You thought the 2028 squad was good? He's looking at another group of what would be, man, like seventh graders? I don't know. It's wild. It's wild how far these picks can date back. But he has a lot of those in the chamber. That is for certain. If I'm going to be honest, this is a deal that, you know, had to be made from a business perspective for the Thunder. If they didn't believe that Veet was going to be on this 15-man roster, you're going to see if someone else wants him. They end up getting basically two second-round picks out of it, and they take a bit of a cap hit with Harkless, but they can waive him if need be. I don't know if Harkless would necessarily be on the Thunder's final roster. So... It's a good business move by Presti. The only thing that you can look at is should they have kept Veet with that final spot? And it's clear, you know, it was a three-man race after the Jerome news. It was Credci, Maladone, and Derek Favors. Derek Favors gives that veteran presence. Teo looked good in his rookie campaign, and Credci kind of like that versatile one through three piece. I have been very high on Credci from the beginning. Um, One of the first podcasts that I ever did on here was breaking down the draft. And this was when you had that very awkward offseason where the draft is happening like almost in December. Like, I think we were literally putting Christmas lights up 
while the draft was going on, if that gives you an idea. So, like, very interesting, very interesting offseason that would have been. And I really liked Crunchy. I think the trade that OKC pulled off to get him in the first place was an absolute steal. It was Cassius Winston, like 54th pick in the draft, and a future second to move up to 37th. I feel like that would never happen again. Like, the Wizards must have a very good relationship with the Thunder for that kind of deal to be made. But they get a skyrocket up the board to get Crunchy. And he was a very good player coming out of Zaragoza. Torn ACL, so that was a big red flag, obviously. He couldn't play the first season with OKC, but he rehabbed in OKC. Seemed like he had some spring to his step. Kind of lost it after the ACL injury, but you started to see him near a return there. Good with like a two-handed rim grazer, if you will. But six foot eight, kind of guard play almost. He's always played point guard. He got moved up a bit with a thunder. But really, really good when it comes to passing vision. He'd make tap passes, midair passes that you just would not see for someone his size and you wouldn't see for someone selected in the second round. I thought he was a really good finisher from downtown. Very consistent. He looked good in summer league as well uh, and kind of took over as one of the top guys uh, that you were talking about after that outlet. Defensively, I think that's kind of where he struggled. But... He was making some improvements yet again in Vegas. So he had a very good offseason. And I think when you consider the injury, it was basically his rookie campaign last year. So he's still valuable. And I know it's tough. I know they had to make those decisions. There's no real loophole to where you could actually demote Credshee to a two-way deal. I thought about it over the summer. I don't think it's a legal transaction. If it was, give Credshee that two-way contract, please. But I was just really, really impressed with him last season. You know, not too much coverage goes towards the blue. Um, <laughs> like, not much, really, at all. I really enjoy looking at the blue. I love looking at the G League and kind of getting those stories out because you can kind of see the trajectory before they break into the big stage. It's like really evaluating minor leagues. You know, you have that big board and you get to see them go up with the G League and with guys uh, kind of on their you know, move down their assignment for a week or two, you're able to get those notes. Crudgy really impressed me during the Winter Showcase Cup games, and he wasn't impressive in terms of the stat lines. You know, the guys that were doing the heavy lifting were more Rob Edwards or DJ Wilson or Xavier Simpson, but he would log like eight, six, and four, and he would do an excellent job in terms of energy. Just understanding your role goes such a long way, and he's able to adapt. He doesn't have to be the guy with the basketball in his hands. Maybe at Zaragoza he needed to. He didn't need to last year. He could spot up in the corner. He could hit a three-pointer. Let someone like Simpson just go for it. When he got moved up with the Thunder, obviously very different environment. No SGA, no Josh Giddy kind of have to find your footing and he really reunited with the blue squad to close the year out did not falter whatsoever still was able to find a, a role at a somewhat efficient rate and do a good job at it defensive lapses were the thing that stained his rookie campaign the most but even with that very physical as a player I think once again, when you're talking about players that check the boxes of a rotational player, a back end of your bench player, Crutchy does a good job. 
in terms of just how he goes about things and his usage. You know, he's able to be a Swiss Army knife of sorts when need be. And in Atlanta, they could really use somebody like that probably at the three, if I had to guess. That's probably where he would slide in. Atlanta has a very unique group going into training camp, and Kretschy, at the very least, is an instrument for them to get out of some of the luxury tax they were in. So financially, acquiring Kretschy for Harkless actually helped them. But there's still a lot of potential there. There's a lot of players that are going to be fighting for those spots, though. Guys like Armani Brooks, very good last year. Chris Silva, I think he played for the Timberwolves G League affiliate last year. Once again, very, very impressive. Malik Ellison looked good for the College Park Skyhawks. I think there's going to be a real uh, eyes on him going into next year. But there's still a way for him to make this roster, and I I really hope we get to see more action from him in the NBA because I don't think we got to see enough in his rookie season. One thing that I really value is when guys remain the same efficiency from the G League to the NBA level. There are guys that can drop 26 points per game in the G League, but as soon as you put them into the NBA, their role is just not going to fit what is needed. Kretschy was never like that. It's almost the same thing as Poku almost, where his role is so unique that he was almost arguably worse in the G League than he was at the NBA. Maybe that's just how Poku is as a player, but Kretschy, you know, there was no real drop-off, and I think that deserves a lot of praise. It's a situation in Atlanta where they need more help at the three potentially Jalen Johnson was a star in the G League last year I think he gets minutes but outside of that you know you are looking for somebody to slide in I think he'll be either the the last guy cut or the the last guy in just based on this Hawks team and, and how I assess their roster very good player though and I hope we get to see more basketball from him the good thing for the Hawks and the good thing for fans, you know, looking to uh, continue to support Kretschy is that his contract is actually very nice for a second rounder. He has a partial guarantee, which isn't fully guaranteed until about New Year's. And even with that, it's a second round scale. So you're barely even paying him anyways. He wasn't getting paid even seven figures last year with the Thunder. So it's a very nice team friendly deal. And there's still a lot of room in the growth plates, at least the way that I view it with a player such as himself. So that's kind of the breakdown on those two. Teo or or Derek are going to be the next guys up, if I had to guess there, one of them being gone. Officially, though, the Thunder roster still is at 20. Ty has not been moved. Mo Harkless slides in for where Kredchi was. If Harkless is waived, if Maladone's waived, if Jerome is, then you get an opening in the training camp roster. And I think guys that, you know, are unsigned or, or have their rights attached to the Thunder could get picked up. Guys in that category, Jamias Ramsey, Sasha Clay Jones, Jaden Shackelford. I mean, those are three players that very well could be the next man up if they are still in the Thunder ranks. In terms of Clay Jones and Shackelford, I don't think they've signed elsewhere, and Ramsey also has not signed elsewhere. So either they're completely free agents or they're getting ready to play another G League season with the Oklahoma City Blue. So that's just my breakdown on things. If you guys have a different opinion on 
Ty, Crunchy, takeaways from me today. Make sure to let me know. You guys can hit me up on my Twitter at Ben Kreider or hit up the pod's Twitter at ThunderstickPod. Other than that, though, guys, that is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.